0: Welcome back to another day in your pursuit of a bachelor's of multifamily science here at the Apartment Academy. I am your uh, host, the Dean of the Apartment Academy, Daniel Cunningham, and the Apartment Academy's podcast here it is the multifamily industries only operations focused podcast featuring insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. So if you invest in multifamily real estate or you're involved in the day-to-day uh, operations of on-site uh, apartment buildings, we are your source for efficient operations and maximizing ROI. Today's podcast was with Andrew Silverman, CEO of Mosser Companies, and uh, I, at the end of this conversation, we start talking about what should probably be a podcast all on its own, which is uh, which is accessory dwelling its ADUs. So, if that's of interest to you, there's gonna you're gonna get a your, your appetite will be wet a little bit by today's conversation. Um, but Mosser Companies is interesting in that. Uh, they have a wide variety of product type that goes from 300 units down to 4 units, um, and uh, and managing a portfolio like that is really a challenge. Let's hear how Andrew and his team addresses it. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Daniel. Nice to be here and joining you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. So we like, we always like to start out a little bit about your journey, how, how the, uh, the various professors here at the Apartment Academy end up. Um, in the multifamily industry. So if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit about your background. Again, like we always say, it's uh, it's 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 not where you started. It probably doesn't look like where your initial trajectory was sending you. So tell us how you got here.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, I started off my career. I've always loved real estate. I got my real estate license before I even graduated college, uh, worked in a real estate sales office during college. And um, right after college, um, I found myself in a real estate analyst role, real, really just consulting. And from that, I realized I loved working with residential developers and then joined a residential developer and started getting more into construction and the combination of real estate and construction. Joined a startup in, uh, in at the beginning of the, of the century and recognized that taking my construction and real estate expertise and then applying that to a rapid scale um, startup was a really rewarding um, venture. And so I, uh, I literally went from different business venture to business venture, but always in the real estate and construction field, modular housing, web van, um, and along Starwood. And then along the way, um, met kind of the multifamily industry, which had always been uh, circling around. And recognize that that industry has everything that I love. It has development. It has renovation. It has customer service. It has um, it has uh, obviously business uh, and and complicated math associated with it and value add. And so it was really just a combination of all these very diverse factors, which I realized were really appealing to me because I can jump from financials to leasing to construction to value add to investors in any given day and I I, I kind of like having the broad brush of it all so that's that's how I ended up here
0: yeah it's one of the things that people don't realize about this industry is that when you're a community manager managing a you know 20 to 100 units somewhere in that range or more um, you are you're getting exposed to accounting and construction and marketing and it's it's uh, it's a very, very, I think, demanding industry from that standpoint. You have to be, you have to wear a lot of different hats. Um, and then, by the way, this might be a, a, a little departure here, but what was your modular housing experience? So it was
1: coming right out of the Great Recession. Uh, I was a real estate developer up until 2008, and I had a friend who was starting a, a company called Zeta Communities, and by coincidence we had built one modular housing in a vacation resort where you could only build six months of the year so we figured with modular we could build and market in the same six month season and learned a ton from building one house and then that person found out that i had experience in this and and brought me on to help found this company called zeta which um had a great three or four year run um and learned a lot in the industry and did a lot of projects um and so, they, yeah, that was that was my modular run, which was wonderfully rewarding. It was all about how to deliver housing most cost effectively, as well as sustainability, um, and and that seemed like a really compelling combination for me.
0: Yeah, so I think we might have that in common. So I, I was the founder of uh, co-founder of Living Homes, um, which now became I, Plant I Prefab. That. I was, I yeah,
1: was,
0: uh, yep. So it was uh, Like you, same interest. Like, how can we provide? sustainable, affordable housing. And um, and uh, they struggled to apply it. All uh, I think modular manufacturers struggled to apply it to multifamily, but hopefully they're getting there but anyway. Um, so so then tell us a little bit about about Mosser. You have a, um, even though the company uh, has some size to it, it has a very different, uh, I think, portfolio makeup than what you expect to see in somebody that oversees so many units as you guys do. Tell us a little bit about the company.
1: Sure. Um, from my perspective, you know, kind of feeding off the the intro I gave, I'm used to jumping into that concept that has a business plan and then rapidly scales the business plan. Um, the concept of Mosser, and this is something which was which was incredibly appealing to me, is this has been a slow growth build over the last 65 years. So they've been in San Francisco uh, for decades, not with the goal to scale and build a best-in-class um, institution. But really just to provide community housing and and do it once, do it again, repeat. And so it's really um, it's really kind of a different mindset, which is we understand our markets, we understand our residents, we understand our properties, we feel like we provide a really needed product and service for workforce housing, which is something so important to focus on in this day and age. and so let's let's do that more broadly and make sure that we can have the best impact that we can. and so, um, I really appreciate my my CEO Nevio Mosser. Um, You know, he grew up in this business. He was a janitor with Mosser thirty something, forty something years ago, and so uh, he he, as much as anyone, understands at, at 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 the nats detail exactly what is entailed in making this business work for for our customer, the residents, and for our communities. And so that mindset was really just somewhat of a departure from what I'm used to. And I really feel like if um, just understanding it kind of from the blocking and tackling perspective, and then um, scaling that out gradually, sustainably, and then just looking to be the best operator we can be for the community.
0: So rather than uh, two hundred unit un- units and four stories over podium, you you have some smaller assets. You you have you have a what looks to be adaptive re- reuse. Um assets, uh, I know you guys have the Lido here in Los Angeles, which is a very interesting asset with a storied history. Um, what what is the smallest what what are the couple of examples of the smaller uh, buildings that you manage? How many units are on the small side?
1: Smallest, I believe is four units. Um, yeah. and so our our average building size is probably twenty five units. Um, so we have a lot of probably thirty percent of our buildings are under. 16 units Um, so there's and it really ranges from four units up to um, over 300 units so it's really um and and the buildings perform very differently we have one basically condo grade building that's that's um beautiful and high-end but but for the most part it's it's really just these little infill buildings in these very existing um traditional neighborhoods of, of san francisco that are our bread and butter and they're buildings that have that tell all the stories of san francisco and oakland and los angeles you mentioned Alito hotel california um and and many other things and and so this is the history of san francisco and 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 oakland and la and it's you know it's it's an awesome privilege to be able to operate these properties but it is you know it's also a um it is a quite a responsibility to take these hundred-year-old properties that are fully occupied or largely occupied, and continuously upgrade them and, and keep them current uh, with the modern day, whether it's from a code perspective or from an amenity perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the operating dynamics in a company like this—that's what I wanted you to to to, to bring to light. Was it is? I think it's unusual to see that spread in product type you know, from four units up to 300 units. And so you have to, I think uh, you don't have, you can't have the same kind of cookie cutter approach that other, like, say, large institutional owner and operators uh, can take. So I want to dig in a little bit uh, to that today. Is there something in particular that uh, since you've been at Monster that you've discovered that, that they do really well, better than others, that's unique to them perhaps, is there anything along those lines that you, you could share?
1: Yeah, I, I think two things stand out for me, which is, um, one is, I, I would argue that pound for pound, we know our properties and what properties like this take to maintain an upkeep as well or better than anyone in the industry, just because we've been doing it so long. Um, you know, One thing to that point, and this is kind of speaks to the history of Mosser, is We have almost 10 employees who've been with us more than 20 years. I'm not sure I've ever worked with a company that had a 20-year employee. And so we celebrate these folks and they know where they know how everything works. And they teach the rest of us how everything works. And so it's really understanding the nuts and bolts of these properties. I think the other thing which was very compelling for me in joining Mosser is that more than any company I've ever been with, I feel like we are the community. We're we're an 85% minority. Um, company. We we live in our buildings, we work in our buildings, and so we really understand as well as anyone what it takes um, A to, to, to operate and manage these properties as well as what our 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 residents, what our customers really want and expect from us in order to maintain good solid housing in, in classic San Francisco. So I think you know both those really speak to kind of knowledge and heart and I think that's something that in which Moss really excels
0: that that um sharing of institutional knowledge that you mentioned earlier that these the folks you've had that know everything they know all the ins and outs and where all the skeletons are hidden or you know where all the <laughs> filters are hidden perhaps i wasn't going to bring our that kids. up but yes thank you <laughs> um how uh t- tell us tell us a little about how mosser's approach to uh, let's call that training. Let, how do you take that institutional knowledge and and preserve it across and and share it across an entire organization like that with such varied levels of product type?
1: Um, first and foremost, it's not you know it's not easy. You really have to stay on this because it's it's um, it, it just requires that. Um, I'd say it's twofold. One is you know we 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 know the things we need to be trained on. Um, certainly, fair housing compliance, um, making sure. know fair housing really just speaks to having an an inclusionary uh environment and so that is something which i i I think we we, is just in our in our in our uh, is in our mission um so whether it's fair housing environmental requirements prop 65 all those things that you need to know in order to run a business or the things that we we train up through through certain uh mediums out there um i think the second part of this which is more the um, you know, kind of the master. The master we have something called MOPS, um, which is our master operating procedures, and and this is a long written document that is constantly in motion. It's constantly evolving, um, but it's making sure that we understand best practices and how to do everything soup to nuts in uh, in real estate uh, and in and in resident resident service. So. Um, and then I think the third thing that is just so essential is boots on the ground, which is um, whether it's myself, whether it's Nevi, or CEO, whether it's any of our leadership or whether it's any of our, our front lines teams, we're always out in the field inspecting what we expect and uh, making sure mm-hmm. that things, not just we're taking somebody's word for it, but things are at the quality we expect, uh, at the responsiveness we expect. And so really, that's that's a... That's a mindset that we want to train into our teams that you know, we're always responsive within a certain period of time. We're always considerate. And so that's, that's just kind of the way we do business, not how we do business, but the way we do business. And uh, that also gets trained into our teams because we want them to know what good looks like, and whether it's from a property perspective or from a customer care perspective.
0: Always love the term inspecting what you ex- expect. Uh, yeah, I think that's an important uh, philosophy to carry with you. Is there, a, does technology play a role in any of that for you? Do you guys, uh, have you, do you guys use remote inspection, digital inspection tools? Are you Excel, clipboards? What's, how do you, how do you guys manage to do that consistently across all the properties?
1: Um, yeah, it's, it, and so I think for me, the perfect union is to take something that's really old and tried and true. And then yeah. marry that with the best in class technology that's out there. So, how do you take a hundred year old building uh, and a sixty five year old operation, but also make sure that it's running with the efficiency of a of a silicon startup? So that's that's yeah. the goal. Are, are we fully there? No, it's always a work in progress. Um, right. But yeah, we're you know over the last couple of years, we've really gone from a. Um, I'll call it a monthly reporting type of company to a let's push everything into real-time or as real-time as we can get it type reporting and so um, at any given moment I can look on, our, we have a, uh, a a job tracking platform that we use where I can see where all of our teams are uh, at any given time I can see whether we're on lunch break or whether they're working I can see progress photos in there um, and so that's how we manage our, our teams in the field and Mosser self-performs almost everything so um, you know that's another one of our keys to success, it's, it's our janitorial team, it's our construction team, it's our leasing team, it's our property management team. And so it's really we're accountable. It's not some third party vendor. yes, we have vendors we work with, but for the most part, it's on us to make sure that we're delivering uh, the service that we want. Um, on the on the technology front, we're in the process of adopting over the last couple of over the last year really to, platforms that tie into yardy. One is Knock, really on the marketing and leasing front and the other is canopy, which is on the, um, really just the broad view financials, leasing, property management, um, leaderboard front. And, is that
0: kind of a BI tool canopy?
1: Uh, correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's a, you know, one of the things about the companies that, and I've worked with a lot of technology companies over the last 10 years, and you know the lesson learned for me is the platform can be great, but the leadership also has to be there to make sure that they're adapting uh, that platform to our needs. And so there's been you know, these two companies that we're working with that is just mentioned, they have great leadership teams who really wanna work with us to make sure they're nailing the product right. Canopy is an example is a very early on company, but their, their leadership team is very focused on learning from us, as we're, so we're helping them pilot it. And um, because then it becomes a better product for us and it becomes a better product for them, as they're providing this this service for other for other companies as well. Um, I looked recently at 247 Leonardo, one I know you're intimately familiar with, and that's I think how I, how how you and I came to be meeting today. Uh, looking at that for perhaps <laughs> on the on the compliance side. Um, so we're always looking, and I think the the technology um, lesson learned for me is you know for every ten you look at one's really going to be serviceable for you. So it's you have to be very selective. In picking something that really marries in well to our Yardi platform or other pages, real, play, real page platform or, or other out there. So it's uh, yeah, technology is hugely important and lets us actually keep up on our on our teams, on our responsiveness, etc.
0: Let's, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of delve a little further into Canopy because I think the the rise of BI platforms um in the industry is is a trend that's here to stay and it started with, you know, we we saw early on that um, you know, obviously the larger operators tend to tend to have dive into these kind of things first um, but it is really catching hold. What are some of the key things that you're looking for? Uh, you you mentioned it's real time. so and you and you I, you said some of them, which is like you you're you're tracking your workforce real time, which is amazing, I think, that's probably something you guys do better than than most. Um, what are you looking for out of Canopy? What is it providing in terms of KPIs? Uh, you know, how is it guiding the business, or will it guide the business once you've got it tweaked?
1: And that's a great question because the goal is it for it to help guide and provide aha's into the business. And so, I think it's really twofold. You want an easy UX user experience. We can just go and see what's happening. How many leases do we have? Um, how are How's our financial performance? How many work orders do I have outstanding? What does what, what the unit turn activity look like? Um, I think the other part in that is you want, you want things to be pushed to you. Hey, here's an outstanding work order. It hasn't been addressed in a week. Let's make sure that that's being pushed to the right person because, you know, the, the ugly truth is we're not perfect. And uh, property management is a 24-7 job um, and- Yes there are there are requests at two am in the morning. There are requests on Sundays. there are, and it's it's just part of the business, and we welcome that. But the reality is you need some of this technology and these systems in order to help you stay on top of everything, um, because it's easy not to. It's easy to miss things, um, dare I say. And so you know having technology platforms that also say, as I said, this work order's been outstanding for seven days. This work order says it's been addressed, but hasn't been closed. This unit turn's taking two weeks. This unit's been offline for a month. What's going on? So anything out there which is technology that can help ping us to say, "Hey, heads up, um, you've, you've got a you've got a missing tooth here." That's really something which is uh, which is appreciated because. We can have all the best intent in the world. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean anyone out there is going to be perfect. So if we have some tools that ride alongside with us that help us marry up intent with execution, that's really a good thing. I think the third part in this, which is which is you know, canopy is working really well on with us, is um, the communication. So in in property management, there is this workflow that goes from property management to work order to Asset manager to you know all these different there's all these different stakeholders in a certain issue and so somebody wanting to understand what's going on and why and somebody putting a note on an issue and then that having that note be attached to that issue so somebody else can be informed without having to send an email or pick up the phone that's a wonderful thing as far as everyone being just aware as to what's actually going on so it's it's just those little things that a make our lives easier but also make our lives um, Make our working lives more informed. That's you know that's kind of what we're looking for, and we we have high hopes for 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 Canopy and and other platforms out there that we're working with.
0: Uh, you're you're full of great uh, catchphrases today. I'll, I'll say that. I like the the intent, turning intent into execution. That's another good one. Uh, again, I think that I, um, I like that. that. That resonates with us. Um, certainly, you know my back my background with with Leonardo Twenty Four Seven was very similar in that you know we um we wanted to solve the problem of look you, you there's a lot on the plates of these community managers and service managers every day and how do you prioritize it and assist that help them make sure that that they don't they don't drop any balls on a daily basis because there's a there's a lot to do it's again it's a business where a lot of asked or a lot of asked is asked of the folks on site so um that'll that make sense to me um uh, you when you said that uh you you self-perform so unit turns carpet replacements painting all that's generally done in-house
1: yeah as long as it's not too technical so you know we, we have the boiler company we have the license we have the electricians we have the roofers so things which are highly specialized or just larger projects we're gonna we're gonna bring in vendors for um so but for a Traditional for our our paint and cleans that is something we have a wonderful team that does all of our paint and cleans Um, For our I'll call them our light renovations. We have our own licensed general contractor We run all of our permits through that we run our teams through that We'll outsource some renovations as well just to manage our scale But but for the most part that's something that we proudly self-perform and that way we can keep tighter controls over cost and quality and and frankly neighbor impact uh, because um, you know, One of the greatest challenges um, with these 100-year-old buildings is you have to work on them while they're occupied, as I said. And so how do you do that as least impactfully to the other residents? You can't not do it. You can't not do the soft story. Um, we all want to build ADUs in, into these, these housing-constrained cities. And, so, and we all need to upgrade these units that have fixtures and appliances and finishes from the 1980s in order to make sure that we keep these occupied for, for current residents. And so there's a lot of ongoing work that needs to happen. Um, and um, yeah, it's great to have our own teams to do it. I feel like we can maintain a higher quality um, and consideration over it by, by having that.
0: So, I'd say that's probably another characteristic, listening to you talk, that sets your company apart. I think um, uh, you even... Some large operators that that I'm familiar with don't have a lot of. I mean, when you said you have your own roofing people and that sort of thing, I mean that's pretty amazing. At a company of your scale, how do you make that decision um, of when to retain that kind of skill set in house and and when it, when that starts to erode your margin and you and it just it makes sense to to just rely on vendors. How do you how do you guys strategically make that decision?
1: I think it's both size of project and complexity. and so we do not we're doing a lot of fire life safety upgrades right now, uh, obviously. and so we're not necessarily inclined to build our own fire life safety company because we don't understand it. it, it it's it's kind of beyond our core skill set. Uh, but Fortunately, there are a lot of good vendors out there who we can just plug in, work with, and plug into the to the program. And and we ha- we do have our own construction management team, and so the the CM team, and we have our facilities team. And so, how do we make that decision? We will literally every other week we will sit in a, sit in a room with my head of construction management and my my head of uh, facilities, and we will talk about all right, this job should we handle that internally, or should we, is this something that we want our construction management team to handle? Um, and so, exterior paint's a great example. If we're if we're just patching and painting and doing a little weatherproofing and it's only so many feet off the ground that's going to be something we're going to handle internally if we're if we're erecting a scaffolding and repainting the entire uh exterior of a building we're probably going to bring in a contractor because our teams you know our our teams are are constantly busy and have a certain amount of work if we have a massive project that gets gets thrown at us we just don't we we can't necessarily pull them off their day-to-day janitorial or maintenance and put them on one large project so it's it's some of it's technical expertise. Some of it is just simply scale of project and how to most effectively get it done.
0: Let's um, let's talk a little bit about your um, the mission of Mosser because I feel again it's something that sets you guys apart and and worth talking about. What what would you say, generally speaking, what what do you say? What would you say is the what is incumbent upon a multifamily operator? when it comes to social responsibility the sense of fair, we all know we all know why fair housing is in place we understand philosophy there but but is there something beyond that that you think as as providers of homes and housing for millions and millions of people that is there something else a higher calling that we have or is this mostly just a business um, that happens to deal with a lot of people's daily lives
1: that is a loaded question um and I, th- I think it's a great question, so thank you for asking it. Um, from, a, from a mission perspective, from what we want to do, I think the word, and this is, you know, it's a cliche word, but I think the word that we have to keep coming back to is we serve the community. And so yes, we, we serve residents in our property for those, and certainly in, in some of the, some of the markets we work in right now, we also have to help look out, look after what's out on the street, uh, and some of the neighborhood challenges that that have only inflated during during COVID. And and the city is the city of San Francisco is certainly work on working focused on some of these challenges as well. But I think part of our charter is to not just look after our residents in the building, but also help look after the community on the streets. Um, and. And so we work with a lot of um, we work with a lot of subsidized programs. We proudly work with homeless prenatal program. We've proudly worked with Tenderloin Housing Clinic in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been advocates of Urban Alchemy, which is a new group that has come out that has really done an amazing job at helping to, I'll say, stabilize um, some of the tougher streets of San Francisco. And so. We've been talking to them uh, for nine months, ten months, and they finally launched uh, about three months ago, four months ago. And but it's it's how can we as a private operator also help some of these public or quasi-public um, entities help to strengthen, help, and to provide greater safety for the community? And we're we're able to influence that just because a we've been here 65 years. We're not massive. We're a tiny portion of San Francisco, um, and I think that's you know when you think about a, a a decent sized landlord in San Francisco, we're a fraction of the overall housing market. But but it's not a large market, and so we can influence a little bit just by having a, a few buildings in the Tenderloin. We can work with the CBD, the Central Business District there, and hope to hopefully influence some things that are that'll help with the with the with the broader community. So I think we have to be looking at what's going on outside of just our buildings and we have to be influencing a lot of the positive forces that are out there that together I, I think we can rally and, and make for a better neighborhood, make for a better city. It's idealistic, but I don't think we can afford not to take that approach. And so Mosser and I have been really proud to work with with some of the local some of the local tenant activists during rent relief. Uh, we have a great partnership with, with TenantOin Housing Clinic. We're working with each other to make sure each party, each party, can support as as much of the community as possible to help um, help overcome some of the rent relief challenges. And so um, that's really rewarding. That's one of the things I really enjoy about property management is is helping our residents, but also helping the broader community. And I think if if um, I think there's more work that we can all do, but I think it's something that is is a a needed focus as a part of. Uh, just the, the operation.
0: Have you seen, you know, what we're reading is that uh, after a year of, of everybody panicking that uh, we were going to be at 30% occupancies that that now everything's full and rents are going through the roof uh, in in areas like San Francisco where, again, we read uh, the great resignation, people are leaving their homes in cities like San Francisco and they're going to go all live in Incline Village, Nevada, uh, and work from there. And, um, what has been your experience, and um, are you surprised at the at the, the sort of the rebound effect that cities like San Francisco, um, in Chicago, New York, Manhattan, that they have exhibited since you know beginning of this year or the end of last year, really?
1: Um, yes, yes, and no. So, so just taking San Francisco, San Francisco is always an aggressive rebounder. Um, meaning meaning uh, whether it's the great recession whether it was the dot-com bomb San francisco has you know it's such a small market and it's such a high demand market that it always typically rebounds pretty well um but it's it was always the a lot of these markets as well were also pretty resilient to downturns because it was such a supply constrained market i think what was really interesting over the the, the during the pandemic which we're out of right okay we're not out of yet but we're getting there right okay yeah What's been very interesting during the pandemic is how not resilient it was now. People went for um, more open space, uh, et cetera. And so, yes, we've certainly seen, we saw a nice migration back into the city last, I'd say last spring and summer. Uh, Delta came up and kind of quieted that. Omicron came up, kind of quieted that. But what I'm seeing is it's it's really a two phase Recovery. So I was just talking to somebody earlier who was a a, a property manager in East Palo Alto, and they're 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 struggling to recover. Um, What we're seeing in some of our working class, more working Hmm. class neighborhoods is those are trailing notably the the higher income neighborhoods. And so Pacific Heights and Marina, um, they're recovering faster than the Tenderloin um, and and some of some of the other. Um, more workforce housing neighborhoods. My theory on that is we know that all the restaurants and bars haven't fully opened. They're not fully staffed up yet. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of service jobs out there where which haven't fully come back to life. And there's also a lot of people who are not fully reengaged in the um, in the workforce. And so I think I think the last leg of this is going to be a little bit more of the service jobs where where some of the, the more working class neighborhoods will will be kind of the last ones to really start picking up again. So we've seen things stabilize, but we haven't seen any, any sort of vast rebound in, in some of those um, more working class neighborhoods.
0: Is is there still an opportunity, do you think, in San Francisco to expand the housing stock um, outside of building you know, large, high density, high rises, mid rises, more of the kind of product that that you have in place already, or is, have we maxed out in San Francisco, the city of San Francisco, our ability to to house people in product like what 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 you guys have?
1: I I think you're speaking to the beauty of the ADU program, um, and and being able to add existing units uh, into uh, new units into existing properties, and so um you know, each ADU project that I've worked on has been anywhere from 1 to I think 10 units that sounds small but if you look at those over, over a series of hundreds of properties in San Francisco I think it starts to make a difference um and you're also then putting housing in more walkable neighborhoods than putting housing south of market where you're getting on where you're getting on public transportation um to the core job centers, um, so there is absolutely that opportunity. It's not an easy opportunity, meaning it's it's still the city has made it easier. The city continues to to um, work with um, work with operators out there in order to try to enable um, ADU housing. But um, that is you know we see that as the opportunity to to put another call it ten percent housing stock into the built envi- the existing built environment. Um, and that's an ex- that's an exciting opportunity because you're you're literally then putting housing in in the 99 and
0: 100 walkable score neighborhoods, uh, which is exactly I think how it's meant to be. Cool. Let, let's talk about this for just a second. Um, first of all, can you define for those that are listening what uh, what ADU housing is and how that how that works?
1: Three dwelling unit, and basically, if you so we have a we have a property that. Uh, on on Hayes Street, Hayes Valley, great neighborhood, and our construction management team just oversaw the addition of four units uh, completed at the end of last year in a, I want to say it's a 14-unit building, and so we just increased, in that one building, we increased the occupancy by 30%, 30% more housing in that one building, and so, um, you know, if you could do that across all of San Francisco, that would be a tremendous number, Um, but... uh, so that's that's the ADU concept, and for the most part, you're taking up uh, storage spaces, parking garages, um, dead space. Um, there there's a building uh, building on Union Street that we have right now, where where it's a beautiful three story building, and then there's just a bunch of shelf space below it, which could be a wonderful series of ADUs with ocean views. Um, And yet it's just shelf space right now. And so with the combination of a soft story structural work coupled with infilling um, some really nice studio one bedroom units in there, um, you're providing um, brand new additional condominium grade rental units uh, in in these hundred-year-old properties in San Francisco. It's a wonderful concept to think about because you're bringing the old and new together.
0: As an investor then... Uh, you're going beyond just the typical value add proposition where we're going to repaint and, and, you know, add stainless steel and get rid of the old avocado colored appliances. Um, You're seeing your opportunities to say, to add actual additional units to a property. And how hard is that to get through the city? Is this, is this something that you're average investor and real estate investor off the street owns a few apartment buildings that they can get into is this really a skill and a specialty you have to understand to dive into
1: the latter 100 um you know if you want if somebody wants to get into it they need to then make sure they have a team of architects engineers um dare i say perhaps expediters because the, the planning process, you know, it's probably a two year process and it can, be a, it can be longer than that. And it's, it would be hard pressed to be much shorter than that from design, permitting, um, execution. The, the planning process will probably take a year just by itself before we even, before we even uh, swing the first hammer. And so, um, and it is complicated. And I think the other part of, of these, you know, these hundred year old buildings that are San Francisco, is the plumbing 100 years old the electrical can be 100 years old or it was upgraded in 1975 and so you have to as you're building the new units down below we're now thinking about fire sprinkler systems because you have to do them obviously to to the current code and so it's really right. marrying You're as you're typically doing these adus you're also then thinking about art right, are we re-plumbing this entire building or are we, are, we, are we rewiring this entire building we will do that as a part of the unit renovations we will always look for the opportunity to not just do the cosmetic, but to also do brand new electrical, brand new plumbing, brand new ENERGY STAR appliances, et cetera. Um, but you're, you're kind of upgrading the building from the inside out for the most part. When you get to these ADUs, then you're also looking at the, the systems and saying, all right, my old boiler was from you know, 10 years old and had the capacity of just the units there. Let's think about a brand new heating system. Hydronic heating system, mini split heat pumps. You hmm. you start to think about what do we do for these units, but then what is the opportunity to actually help on the sustainability of the overall property while we're doing that? And so it's you're not just focusing on on that storage space in the bottom. You're thinking about you know you have to think about the entire building envelope and how best to look after everything in that property and and get it current.
0: Yeah, what a fascinating way to. Uh, add value to your your investment, uh, but also contribute to housing stock in a in such a constrained environment like San Francisco. Um, I know we're running a little we're running a little bit over longer than we like to go. This has been really interesting. Let me just ask you one more question. is there anything for for those that might be considering getting into the multifamily industry? Is there any? Uh, any hint you would share with them, any advice you would share with them that you wish you had known, uh, before jumping in, into the multifamily.
1: Um, sure. I I, I think the, to do it well, you want to, you want to, you want to get into the multifamily business because you want to be in the customer service business and you want to have the, awesome charter of looking after residents and communities Um, i think there's been you know obviously this industry has swelled a lot over the last 20 years and i think there are a lot of people who get into the industry for a lot of different reasons but um, you know for me um if i didn't enjoy the resident experience if i didn't enjoy looking after a property and, and feeling proud about how good it looks or how well it performs and knowing that our residents are well taken care of um i don't know given the 24-7 nature of it you have to like that part otherwise it can be uh it can be a little overwhelming um and so i think the you know and this is again the thing that i, I really appreciate about the mosser family is this is in this is in their this is in their lifeblood this looking after communities looking after residents is in their lifeblood um, and that's the part where it's an it's it's an operation and a, a resident serving operation first and it's a business second, and I think where where one can get in trouble is if you put the business before you put the customer, um, and so and that's not just in property management, that's in anything. I think it needs to be a I think it needs to be a resident centric outlook, and then let good things happen from that, um, as opposed to the other way around. That's my own that's my own personal belief, um, and it's you know it's certainly well.
0: I, I can't disagree with a single word. It is definitely a people-first business uh, that happens to take place uh, um, among some very valuable real estate, uh, for sure. Is there, um, if people are interested, folks have, uh, uh, you, you do third-party management or is this all owned and operated by Mosser?
1: Um, it, it's, it's a bit of a mix. Um, so uh-huh. Mosser itself has been, a, uh, has been investing in real estate since, um, since the 50s. Um, but we also do a, more of late. We also partner up with other um, other other folks to actually uh, manage as well. So we're we're owners and operators.
0: So if somebody's interested in, in approaching Massa for some third party management, how would they reach out to you guys, Andrew?
1: We'd actually do straight third party management. We're always we're always engaged in the um, in the investment as well. And so if but if somebody's looking for a partnership to um, to help manage properties and and uh, operate properties in 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 the gateway cities. Where um, they can reach out to me, they can reach out to um, Mosser, and uh, happy to chat with them.
0: Great. Well, it, this has been really interesting, Andrew. I would love to dive deeper on the ADU stuff and and a bunch of things, but you know we we try to keep this down to a digestible time frame. Um, but thank you for making it so, packing so much good stuff in a short period of time. I really appreciate you coming on with us today.
1: You as well, enjoy the conversation. Thank you, Daniel.
0: Thanks, take care, Andrew. Well, that's a wrap here at the virtual campus of the Apartment Academy. We thank you for logging in and listening again today. If you've enjoyed these podcasts and you feel like your management company could use a little advice from some of the professors here at the Apartment Academy, then go to our website apartmentacademy.com, and click Help Me. We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that I guarantee will offer you insights on ways you can immediately improve apartment operations. Until next time, class is dismissed. I hope you took good notes. The only test you'll have awaits you every day in the leasing office. Thank you.